0: This episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast is sponsored by AWS Energy. AWS brings the most advanced and secure cloud services and deep industry expertise across energy, utilities, and sustainable energy sectors. Together with a broad partner ecosystem, AWS is accelerating the energy transition through practical innovations to deliver energy efficiently, reliably, sustainably, and responsibly, Learn more at aws.amazon.com energy.
1: Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform.
0: The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent, here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil & Gas Team.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. My name is Jason Duff. I'm the IBM North America Oil & Gas Lead. With me today, I have a co-host, another Scotsman, Neil Syme. How the devil, Neil?
0: I'm good, Jason, how are you? It's been good, I'm good,
2: enjoying this wonderful weather, the summer weather. Well, it's October and we're still sweltering. What's going on? Totally.
0: I had a iced coffee outside for uh, 10 minutes just not so long ago, and I was sweating. So it's uh, nice to get back inside doing <laughs> nice. this podcast.
2: You I don't have a shower before the podcast.
0: I did, but it's just the way sweat works on my feet, Thank friend,
2: goodness geez. we don't do videos <laughs> as well. I'm actually going to do video <laughs> podcast next week. Neil, maybe we need to talk about that before we start doing video. So, Neil, who have we got with us this week? Because we've got two special guests, haven't we? Actually, a ghost and a guest.
0: A co-host and a guest, exactly. It's a bit of an unusual situation, but we're going to try it out. Let's hope we don't mess it up.
2: Well, surely you're going to mess it up. Come on, now. No,
0: this professional podcast is always on the ball. So the co-host who I'd like to introduce first is Kevin Johnson, a very good buddy of mine and colleague. Kevin, introduce yourself, please.
1: Happy to. Thanks for having me, Neil and Jason. Really glad to be here and looking forward to doing these in the future, too. A little bit about me, Kevin Johnson. I'm based in Houston, Texas. I've been with IBM for 12 years working with a variety of clients in the oil and gas space and really just excited about the topic of this because it's so pertinent, you know, the energy workforce of tomorrow with the digital changes that we're seeing in the industry and the massive macroeconomic shifts that are happening. It's the timely conversation. So thanks again for having me.
2: No worries. Kevin, are you the smart guy behind Neil that keeps everything together? I wonder who these, all
1: these people are. Neil
2: <laughs> keeps telling me he's under control. I now kind of guess, Neil, how you're doing this. you got people like Kevin.
0: I'm too busy looking in the mirror and just practicing my podcast voice. That's what I'm doing. I just practice my podcast voice. I don't have time for the client. Kevin. Kevin is, what he didn't say about himself is he's an expert in a specific area that we might be touching on a little bit today. So, Kevin, is well, tell me a little about your expertise and some of the stuff that you've been working on a bit more. That's because we're going to talk about it a little bit later.
1: Yeah, happy to. So I specialize in business to business customer experience, specifically in transforming business objectives such that they match with customer expectations and making sure that you get the full value out of an investment, whether that be a capital project or a digital project. You know, We sing the song of marrying customer experience and brand together to make sure you get full market value in the long run. So as that relates to energy, typically we think of the energy industry as very black and white, right? There's a commoditized product. Product many times that you sell downstream the winds of change are about that's no longer enough within the industry you have to be able to provide the services data and just general branding around your product to make it distinguished within the marketplace so happy to bring that to the fold here and talk a little bit more about it
2: and a fellow houstonian as well kevin correct
1: that's correct. So based in Houston, Texas, I've been in Houston for about the last decade, not enjoying any pumpkin spice lattes outside, though. I'm not a big fan of the heat like Neil <laughs> is. So I wait till November and December.
2: <laughs> He's clearly not Scottish, Neil. Not well, welcome, Kevin. I look forward to yeah, this podcast and many others with you. Really appreciate you joining. And Neil, we've got a special guest, but actually it's maybe not a special guest. We interviewed this guy a couple of weeks ago. and I think
0: he looks familiar.
2: We either did so well or we did so badly. But as we put some in front of him to sign an NDA or a waiver, I think he signed the contract instead, and he's joined IBM. Neil Robin McMillan, now IBM Consulting. Hello, I Robin. I know.
0: Welcome, Robin. It's great to have you actually part of IBM Consulting. Woo! 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 Did we win? I think we and won. No, did we, we said... win? I think we won. I think Robin didn't. If you want to come and get a job in IBM, just come on this podcast. <laughs> You'll get it. It's a done deal, it seems like.
3: You want to do this again, sign here, which I did. And now look what happened. But anyway, (laughs) it's great to be part of the gang. I was worried about when you mentioned being part of the gang, Jason. I wonder when the tattoo is going to be requested. That was my main concern, but we can talk about that later. That comes
2: along with the laptop on the second day. It comes on with it, and there's one for your wife as well. So it's all right. It's a bit of a family thing here in IBM. There you go. Right. Thanks. You can put it wherever you want. Let's leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, Robin, just tell us a bit, I'm joking apart, the people that didn't meet you last thing, just to give a bit of a summary of who you are and where you've come from, just to kick it off, because just in case the others didn't hear your first one.
3: Okay, so I've been in drilling most of my working life. Started out as a geologist working on the rig and got far more interested in the drilling process than the geology. And sitting in a mudlogger shack on the rig, you're actually surrounded by data. So I've been involved in drilling data almost from day one. And then when went into selling drill bits, and then you need data to justify the product. You basically, have to go into a client and say, I know your operation, I know the rig, I know what your BHA is, I know what your geology is, and based on all that, I can justify this product. So again, that's all driven by the data. Then it became part of NOV when Reed High Club, which is the drill bit company, became part of NOV. And NOV, of course, generate a lot of data, both downhole data and rig data, surface data. And at that time, Within High Club, we were starting to produce downhole sensors, so now you've got more data from Mm downhole. And of course, you need a lot of data. It's dark down there. Who knows what's going on? So it's all about the interpretation. (laughs) And the more data you have, the better. We've spent a lot of time gathering data. A lot of it now, of course, is digital. And now it's time to, if you like, go through the digital transformation. I see within the drilling industry, a lot of digitization, not yet a lot of digital transformation. And if I can give you a quote here, if I wrote this one down, this is George Westerman from MIT, who said, if you go through a digitization process, but you don't go through digital transformation, you're not allowing the caterpillar to transform into a butterfly. All you end up with is a fast wow. caterpillar. And that just amused me, I just the thought of a fast caterpillar, but and sometimes that's rather kind of a slow <laughs> one, but I think it epitomizes the challenge that it's a transformation you're looking for. If you've got a process that's not very good and you digitize it, well, now you've got a digital process that's not very good. You've still got to go through the transformation. And that's where IBM come in, because clearly when we look at what IBM have been doing for years within other industries, machine learning, artificial intelligence, my feeling is now to apply that to the drilling process and provide the transformation and actually improve the efficiency of the process and at the same time improve the safety And if you improve the efficiency, you also reduce the emissions. So a lot of upside.
0: So, Robin, that makes sense. I think the bit that we focused on last time a lot of the time in the podcast was more around some of your operational skills. But it is that data aspect that I think we want to kind of talk about a little bit more and how it has evolved through time in the industry and how we're seeing it proliferate. Everybody talks about the magnitude at which data is available. But to your point, there's loads more data there but is it being used and are we taking advantage of it yet? And what have you seen from the evolution back in the early days of some of the sensors you see versus the data that's available now and the actual usage of it?
3: I can see that the usage of it has improved, there's no doubt. When we started to automate part of the drilling process, you know, subroutines of the drilling process, one of my colleagues would go to a rig, and first of all, of course, he was not very welcome because the driller looks at him and goes, Hey, what, you here to take my job away? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once we'd set up these routines and the driller became familiar with them and she realized, talking about the workforce of the future, this actually made them a better driller. This was a tool that they could use hmm. that actually enhanced the efficiency with which they could do their job. To such a point where at the end, that drill, that particular driller said, hey, if you switch this off, I quit. It was so impressed with what it did so i think that's the first step is to make sure that the people who actually run the operations know this isn't there to replace you this is to enhance your ability to do the job more efficiently and we've still got a long way to go there are still lots more automation that we can bring to the process i
0: think we are but we
3: can use this data for and there's a lot of data that we can use if you think about the drilling process Particularly if you think about all the things that can go wrong with a drilling process, you think of, and I'm going to go into a bit of drill speak now, you've either maybe stuck pipe or you're losing circulation or you're taking a kick because there's some sort of influx. In all those cases, there's a data stream. And when you go back at the history, you can see, yes, if I'd paid attention to that, I could have seen this thing coming. I could have forecast this incident. And therefore, had my eye on the ball, I would have been able to mitigate the issue. Of course, for a driller on the rig, they are extremely busy. They've got the mechanical process of drilling. They've got the rig to look after. They've got a crew to look after. They can't always pay attention to every sensor on the rig to actually spot these trends. But you can design algorithms to spot those trends. So you can say, yes, look at what the sensors were doing during that process. You can say, look, the pressure went up, the torque went up, you know, there was overpull, etc. There were certain issues. If you've got an algorithm that's looking at that data all the time, the algorithm say, hey, I can see something happening here. And then one of two things, either the algorithm nudges the driller and said, hey, there's something going on here. You need to do something about it. Or one step further is to design algorithm that will actually automate the response, but still keep the driller in the loop. But now the algorithm is saying, hey, here's what I see going on. And by the way, here's what I'm going to do about it. And just keep the driller in the loop, but actually automate the process of the response. So, hey, Kevin, you can see this wonderful
2: Englishman with a strange accent's joined us. Kevin, what's your view now of where we can go with this sort of data model with people like that in our team? Kevin, excited?
1: It sounds incredible. I mean, the key things that kind of came to me when Robin was talking was there's so many areas of opportunity, Robin, I heard you mention efficiency and cost savings and safety and training. Curious from your perspective, you mentioned a lot of automation. Where is this being done really well? Do you have any shiny examples of where AI and maybe some data science has come in on drilling operations?
3: Yeah, it's particularly, if I can think of a subroutine that's been automated, for example, when you've, if you put on a new drill bit, And now you're going back to bottom with the drill string. How do you do that? Well, the old school way was, hey, just crank up the rotary speed and then squeak the brake. I say squeak because it used to be a mechanical brake. And the thing will go to bottom and eventually, (laughs) and it will start digging and great, you know. But that we're really looking back was in the old days of the roller cone drill bit. And it turned out once we started to look at the downhole data, if you do that with a fixed cutter diamond, what we call a PDC drill bit, Actually, what you're doing is shaking that bit to death. You're rattling it around. It turns out that if you're using a bit which actually scrapes formation as, as opposed to digs it like the old roller bit, the sooner the drill bit has its footprint, the better. So you don't want to jam it into the bottom, but what you do do is make it so that you give it its footprint as soon as possible, as soon as physically possible, without doing any damage, rather than squeaking to bottom slowly. And once you realize that, you can tell the driller, okay, this is what you need to do. This is the process you need to do. But what you can now do is design an automated system on the rig, which will do it the same way every time. So you can say to the rig, I want to lower the pipe at this rate, crank up the pumps at this point, to a certain pump rate and pull up the rotary at a certain, and then drop to bottom or go to bottom at a certain rate. And you can fine tune that until you get it dead right. And then you can automate it so that it's the same way every time. You're not relying on the driller doing it the same way every time. So there are subroutines whereby we've applied the science and it makes a lot of difference, but that's a subroutine. It's not the whole Drilling process, but it's another example of where the data science has enabled the driller to do a better job.
1: Very cool. Great example. Thanks for sharing. I mean, you've mentioned drillers quite a bit. Who else is using the data that's coming off of a rig?
3: Well, probably the one who may be more interested the most is the geologist, because let's face it, it's the geologist and the geological team that have decided this is where the well needs to be, and then there'll be a design of the well. This is the well needs to go down 7,000 feet and then build angle and go out 10, 15, 20,000 feet. And so the position of that well within the geology is key. For the production success of that well, the actual placement is obviously fundamental to that success. And so the geologist is always keen to know exactly what's going on. And the other thing is that they'll be keen to know the quality of the well bore. So this will be both the drilling guys and the geologists because if you've got a lot of tortuosity, then everything you do after you've been drilling, such as you're running a completion and then you're running a production string, the more tortuous the well, the more difficult those processes are. So there's a couple of things going on there. There's the geometry of the well, and then there's the placement within the geology. So there are sensors in the drill string called logging while drilling. So there was a time when you only logged a well after you drilled it. You'd run down with a slumberjay tool. I say slumberjay tool because back in the day, that was Slumberger's area of expertise, and you would log the well and pull it out, and you could then see the geology. You can now log while drilling. That enables you to do a certain amount of steering, if you like, enable you to put the well in the right place from a geological point and not just a geometrical point.
0: I think to that point, it sounds like there's a number of people that have had some pretty serious changes to their life and their skills required as part of their jobs. Yeah. How are you seeing now the skill sets that are needed in today's workforce and the mix between being deep data experts versus being deep industrial experts and those guys trying to tread the line to do both, but realizing a lot of them takes a lot of effort to learn one or the other?
3: Yeah, and I'm not sure that we'll end up with one or two people doing both. It's almost like if you think about the sort of algorithm that we yeah. need to, for example, to forecast the disaster that we talked about earlier, what you'd want there is a data scientist to sit with a driller and say, sit with a, a subject matter expert and say, how are we going to do this? And because also whoever designs the algorithm is going to have to get from somewhere the instructions okay what are we going to do about it once we've recognized this potential disaster what are the mitigating processes what are we going to do do we, do we increase the pump rate do we increase the rotary speed what do we do so that's going to be an interaction between those that know how to drill and those that know the data science to be able to translate one to the other to build this digital tool, if you like. So I'm not sure that we'll end up with one person. Presumably, once a data science has done that, maybe they can go to the next well and do it again. But there's a good chance that there'll be some, at least some nuances that are different probably at some point they will always need to be talking to the subject matter experts from the drilling department. Kevin has said to us before
2: there's not just one product we're not just talking our product or a point solution here right Kevin or Robin as well we're looking at an end-to-end solution of picking up that data analyzing it looking for trend analysis and then making decisions
3: right? Yeah I can see a point whereby we walk into a client and say okay is your drilling perfect? And you know what the answer is going to be. Well, no. Okay, so where are the imperfections? Is it the drilling process? Is it hole cleaning? Is it the speed of the drilling? Is it the torchosity? what's your issue? And then we can apply the data science to addressing whatever needs to be addressed. I can see it's getting to a point where there's a, a portfolio of solutions depending on what the issues are that need to be addressed.
1: So Robin, you know, we've talked about drillers a lot. And one of the points that you made is there's probably not going to be this jack of all trades between a master driller and also a data scientist. But (laughs) one of the things that kind of comes to my mind and one of the things that we're really going full bore into within IBM is generative AI. Mm -hmm. And some of the best use cases for generative AI that I've seen is real-time virtual assistants where you can plug in all of those expertise of hundreds of individuals and get recommendations on the spot. In natural language such that, you know, you can ask it a question and it'll respond to you. The use case for this is, of course, ChatGPT that everybody's familiar with. I mean, if you're not playing around with ChatGPT, go in there and ask it to make you a travel itinerary for your next vacation. It'll shock you what it comes out with. Yeah. Could you see that as a good solution for Upstream over the years?
3: Yeah, I think that to start with it, because I'm not sure. Let's go back to the driller, what the driller would ask, because the driller would actually look at the data and say, okay, based on that, here's the question I need to ask. And if that data is available, then you probably don't need the driller in the middle to say anything. The machine can just look at the data and say, okay, based on that, here's what I suggest. I'm not sure that mm. any sort of verbal questioning will be appropriate. i will have to think a bit more about that. But
1: at first glance, I think... It's an interesting point. Yeah, and a fair point, the transition that kind of comes to my mind and the analogy that I start to think about is elevators. So when elevators first came out, there was a guy in the elevator who was pushing the button for you and making sure that you got to the fourth floor successfully. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking about it is, you know, nobody is going to be 100% certain about automating everything right off the bat. So it becomes a somebody who's actually got their hands on the wheel and then an assistant on the side, and then we gradually transition from there. I don't think it's something that happens overnight, to your point. I think it's probably a phased phased process.
3: I'm sure Jason can send you the video of the voice-activated elevator if you haven't seen that.
0: <laughs> let's I'll not, love go,
3: let's not love go down
0: him. that road.
2: <laughs> we should never
3: take in another
0: Englishman on
2: you. <laughs> we're already getting crap was, uh, from him. That's right.
0: Two <laughs> days in and we're already regretting it. <laughs>
2: What about Kevin, what about not even the drilling, but the business knowledge? I mean, you and I and Neil have got this, and as you know, Robin, now why you joined, we've got this business plan to grow the business. And we know that our business has been solidly in IT, but we've moved this year in the last 18 months, as you and I, Neil said, into business. But having someone like Robin, where we can go into operations, into the field and actually have these conversations, I think that's what excites me, Kevin. Not even just drilling, go beyond, because I think that's where our our business is going to be and some of these projects are going to be driven right
1: yeah i agree and i think you touched on it pretty well earlier when you talked about it's the insights that come out of the data that's the most important Sending somebody a ream of data and a big brick of documents, you know, doesn't really do them any good. Most folks are usually looking for those five to ten key metrics that are really going to make a difference within their business model or make a difference to how efficiently they're running their organization. And I think it's the companies who can really be smart about how they go out and get those insights and even smarter about how they deliver them and when they deliver them that are really going to win in the space.
3: I was saying you've built a really strong foundation i have to say your ibm colleagues jay so very complimentary about the way you guys have built the business over the last few years and so you have a lot of contacts with a lot of the main players here in houston and that's a, is a solid foundation on which to build exactly what we're planning to do next
0: yeah Now, I think there's a lot of opportunity, especially as the way that the market is evolving, right? Yeah. You saw it, Robin, when you were in data gumbo, and that's what interests me is your move from the kind of really deep oil and gas into that data gumbo, even though data was always part of your life. Yeah. And then we talked a little bit, touched on a little bit more about how that's impacting some of the customer relationships as well. So maybe you can tell us a little about that little transition and evolution where you see it going.
3: Data gumbo is a great concept. And I say it is because it lives on in a new company called Physic, The founder of Dedegumbo has recently founded based on the same concept. And if I could give you the favorite analogy I used to use with Dedegumbo is Uber. You know, when you arrive in an Uber, you have both been delivered physically and the commercial transaction is complete at the same time. And that's because everything's in place. Your payment mechanism is in the system and the data exists to show yes, Jason did go from here to here at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. And so there's no need to put an invoice in the mail and for somebody to wait 30 or 60 days for their money. The payment can take place immediately. And so if you apply that to a business situation, the commodity transport is the obvious thing. You know, I've got a contract to deliver a thousand gallons of water to you. You've got a meter on your tank that says, yes, that was delivered, and I've got a meter on my truck that agrees. So as a delivery guy, I get paid immediately based on the data. And when you realize how much money is sitting on accounts receivables and accounts payable throughout the business world, processes like that are an obvious Answer. And of course, there are challenges with, well, some people don't want to pay immediately. And then that becomes part of the negotiation. But I, it's a really good example. You know, mentioned earlier, Kevin mentioned the B2C will coming into the B2B business transactions. And that was, I think, a prime example. And I still believe Data Gumbo was trying to do will become the normal way of doing business in the future. Maybe we're a bit too early to the market, but it's such a great system and makes so much sense when you see it in action.
1: Yeah, I think that real-time data piece is key, Robin, right? It's all about instant gratification. We've been groomed as consumers to expect things instantaneously. I know personally, I land on a flight, right? And I look at my app to see what my miles have updated to. Whereas previously, you know, as a frequent flyer, you would wait three or four days for that update to come in. And it's those little mundane things that happen throughout your life, right? That have completely changed. And it's seeping into the B2B world, right? So you can expect to see when a service person's coming to your house for pest control or this, that, or the other. And now as a business, you're expecting to see when your deliveries are going to arrive in real time, whether it be from a rail carrier or a truck company or even a sample product. So I think that proliferation is going to continue into every single market and expectations are only going to increase The other piece that I think is interesting on that spectrum is how the information is delivered is going to be equally as important to what information is delivered. If it's not on a mobile phone, if it's not in your pocket, if it's not compatible with the devices that you have with you every single day, it's going to be a hindrance down the road. And it's something that I think those who are winning in the space are very keenly aware of and building forward to in terms of their architectures. Mm -hmm. You just think of the
2: oil field service companies that have got people going out to the plants and want to get people paid. Just now, I understand a PO just gets, you know, there's a request comes in. They need three people off in Western Africa. There's a PO for a dollar or $2. I won't tell you, but I've seen this before. And there's no analysis or data because if they're going off for three weeks, we know what the cost of it is. But they go and do the work and then they have to come back and they argue about what the work is. The PO takes about another week to get in and then payments afterwards. And even midstream, I even think, as you were talking, Kevin, we all know midstream gets paid on tariffs of what's coming through. So imagine Mm -hmm. we could use some of this data that we know some of the midstream companies are still not using today and how quick you could do it and get the money for the product delivered. I mean, some of that stuff, I think, Kevin, that's why I was excited when Robin and I have known each other for a couple of years now. But when we started talking about potentially coming to IBM and then teaming them with people like you, Kevin, you know, just sitting in a room with a client and just thinking data, and where we can take it and what's the triggers and what the tools and the process and some of the data science we can use now, that really is exciting, I think.
3: Yeah, I think you know, midstream is looks like low-hanging fruit because everything's metered, isn't it? When you get the change of ownership, you yep. know exactly what went through the meter. And even within the back and upstream, you would think about the frack spread, how much data comes out of one of those these days and how much that is digital and how can that be used to improve the efficiency of the process.
1: There's plenty to work on, let's put it yeah. like that. Absolutely. Yeah, from a business point of view, too, when you start to talk about procure to pay and all the various financial processes behind the scenes, the amount of cash that's left on books, right, and the amount of investment dollars that are left sitting in, you know, accounts receivable is staggering. If you can take that money and point it towards innovation and cost savings, the sky's the limit.
3: Yeah, so Absolutely. we need to point out exactly that, that when someone got paid earlier, not only were they Avoiding the cost of capital having this stuff on the balance sheet and not in the bank. But there was the opportunity cost of not having that cash there to invest in your business.
0: Exactly right. So
2: Neil, the other thing that excites me with these two is these are two new hosts to the podcast. So as we're going totally. forward, the old farts like you and I, and and we relax. can get rid of the Scotsman. Yeah. Because mostly on Instagram while we were
0: doing this. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> let the good looking guys go to Instagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was creating a TikTok as we we're doing it stuff like that that's just how I roll so I actually do have a question since we're on the lightish subject we normally don't talk about IBM so much in this but it's because Robin's just joined mm-hmm. it was unavoidable yep. but Robin I've got to ask you what are you mostly excited about now you've joined IBM what are you mostly excited about about working for still make it make it for IBM if you want but make it like a company like IBM with your skill set that's really got the toolkit in its back pocket for all the data and stuff and where does your head go when you see some of the opportunities
3: well obviously the biggest excitement is hanging out with you guys Maybe- <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh-oh <laughs> here we go. yeah
2: that's 20 bucks there. oh
3: yes <laughs> that's right no i just feel it's actually a natural step for myself that we've looked at i've been looking for example as part of the i'm the director yeah i'm becoming very digital the director for drilling for the spe and i've been part of the drilling systems automation technical section for many years and we still have a lot of ground to make up on more automation. It's part of the, I talking earlier about the digital transformation. We haven't really seen that yet. We've got plenty of data and a lot of it's digital we're not. So the excitement for me is that the sort of transformation that is required is right in the wheelhouse of IBM. That's exactly what you guys do and what the company's been doing for many years. And to me, it's exactly what the drilling trade requires. So I think we're, we're going to be in the process of bringing those two together. And I think that's the excitement.
0: Excellent. I genuinely, I'm psyched about the possibilities on this for sure. I still think that we've got a long way to go for podcasting skills, though. But you know what? that takes a little bit of time. Don't, Robin. Worry. don't worry about
3: don't, that. Don't, <laughs> don't worry, Kevin and I are going to take it over. You'll be fine, yeah? Oops, <laughs> I don't there doubt. you
2: go. They've already spoken. Yeah. Well, you and I can go be pretty boys on mm-hmm. some sort of... Uh, what
0: Instagram I think I said I just pulled anything
2: (laughs) sit in the elevators and shout 11 11 doesn't get old does it it
0: never gets old
1: yeah, I mean, Robin and I have chatted a couple times and the deep industry knowledge that Robin brings is really unparalleled. And where I get really excited with Robin coming on board is the fact that we have so many gifted people within IBM that Robin can team with and really upskill from a industry background perspective. That really when, you know, the business side of it and the technology side of it come together, magic will happen. And I think, you know, to the point you all were making, the client conversations will get that much richer and the results will become that much more potent. So, really looking forward to it.
2: Good. Sorry for stumping you there. I was just meaning of sort of final.
1: I was thinking about Instagram filters. You know, yeah.
2: <laughs> he was googling Neil. Sign. He was looking at Neil. There's Sign's nothing Instagram. there,
1: man.
0: I'm all talk.
2: <laughs> so, Robin, welcome again. I think this Thank is fantastic. You. This is one of your at least number two. You've been on podcasts, and next time you're on, you can, as I say, we don't need We're two Scotsmen. Yet. Maybe the Englishman, the Houstonian, can take over.
0: That's right. There's a joke there. A Scottish, Englishman, and a Texan. And the Houstonian. There's a joke there somewhere.
2: <laughs> at least someone will be able to buy the beer Neil It's always the problem with the Scotsman here
0: <laughs> who's that it's not me
2: <laughs> so thank you guys that's a wrap if you guys want to be the next Robin whether you want on the podcast or join IBM there's a couple of seats available where Neil and I and Kevin and Robin now are looking for people to join just watch what you're signing when you come on to the podcast Robin will tell you I'd be delighted if anyone wants to be on the podcast and if you want to reach out to Robin or Kevin their LinkedIn will be on and their emails will be on the show notes again as well so thank you guys Neil that's a wrap I feel really good about this Perfect. this is yeah. just expanding the team in the right sense in the right manner that you and I always spoke about totally really good.
0: bigger and better bigger right. and better as always right thanks guys
2: excellent Robin let's go and have beers on you and Kevin just keep working them hard <laughs>
0: that's right, that's right. <laughs> Kevin's got to stay in the office I'm afraid I'm the one that's got to be going out <laughs> <laughs> all right nice one thanks, guys thanks Cheers, everyone. Thanks so much. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.